You know, our uh, four mission statements in this church are this. We'll put them up on the screen for you because sometimes we've got to look at these things over and over again. We are here to glorify God. That is our primary purpose, is to bring glory to Jesus. Everything that we do, the things we say, the way we interact with our neighborhood around us, is to bring glory to God. We are also about embracing people, and I mean all people, the same way that Jesus did. And we are about planting seeds of the gospel into the hearts of all of those in our life, in the life of our families and those of us who we work with and go to university with, and in the lives of those who surround this church and all the houses in Everton Hills and Everton Park and McDowell and Albany Creek and Fernie Hills and Arana Hills and Capera and I reckon there's probably about another dozen um, suburbs that we represent here this morning. And this morning, we've been talking about all those things, and this morning I want to talk to you about the last one of those four, which is make disciples and how we do discipleship. So I'm going to invite Pastor Steve to come now, and he's going to bring um, the message on how we do that, how we do discipleship at Hills Church. Church. Good morning, church. I'll try that again. Nice to be with you. Um, you know, I could spend uh, the next six months, I think, uh, talking about discipleship and, and Nehemiah. I'm going to try to do it in 20 minutes, and uh, we'll see how, we'll see how this, see how this rock, uh, rock show works. Um, and, then, and then Nathan's going to come and summarise what we've been really talking about for the last, um, last couple of weeks. You know, the book of Nehemiah is not just about rebuilding a wall. Um, if you haven't read it before, I'd encourage you to do it. It actually spends the first couple of chapters talking about a wall, and then he talks about for the next till the end of the to the end of the the end of the um, the book about God's plan to spiritually rebuild the people of God in that place, and that's a lifetime journey. Now, um, now you know, put yourself in these guys' shoes. God's people have been in have been in slavery in a foreign nation over here for so long that they've lost track of what God is all about. They've spent, um, maybe they've spent just time being, you know, being busy, being distracted, being, being so uh, busy just trying to survive that they've lost track of what God's trying to do with them. And they, they might have heard some stories from their parents about this great and awesome God, but they wonder whether, in the circumstances, whether A, he cares, or B, is he just a fairy tale? Is he, is he really real and does he care about our lives? And let's, let's, let's face it, we're not that far away, are we? It's really easy, even as Christians today, to live like we're slaves to a foreign nation. To live like we're too busy surviving to worry about God. It's easy to hear all these inspirational stories and sermons on a Sunday about this great and awesome God, but by Tuesday we wonder whether he really exists and cares. We aren't that far away. And Nehemiah is interested in wanting his people to experience what it is to walk with God day after day, day after day, alongside the great and awesome God amidst the messy questions of life. So you know what? Nehemiah has a lot to teach us about what it is to be a disciple. Um, Isn't that something that all of us need to know about? I think it is for me. And the first thing he says is, I want you to understand you're in a fight. 
You've got to stand together, united. That, that's God's plan. Uh, Nehemiah 4, I'll just pluck one verse out of here. I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. People have got a lot more on the line than just building a wall. Um, They're entering a spiritual fight with an enemy who does not want them to succeed on any level. He doesn't want them to to build a wall. He doesn't want them to rebuild their relationship with God. He has no interest in either of those things happening. And what we see is opposition from outside and disunity from inside. And both of those things are going to be issues that we have to, as a church, deal with. And Nehemiah knows that in order for this nation to be the people that God is calling them to be, they must be committed to each other and play their part. Uh, Nikki Gumbel from Alpha. We've had this, this poster up around the church for the last 12 months or so. And it says this, church is home, church is friends, church is family. You need them, they need you. Um, I'll, you know, I was channel surfing the other night, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, to, admit it, I was channel surfing last Saturday night and uh, come across the last half an hour of the Lord of the Rings movie, the, the final movie. Now, I'm not, I'm not a Lord of the Rings aficionado, but I, I hope you, um, you understand the, the big picture of that. There was basically three movies, and it was Frodo Baggins and his journey with this evil ring, and he had to go throw it back into the lake of fire at some place. And... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. I'm not an expert. And... His mission was difficult, right? His mission was dangerous. He had volcanoes to climb. He had mountains to get over. He had obstacles to get past. He had all sorts of stuff going wrong. You can see him ageing over the course of those three movies, couldn't you? And at multiple points, he could have said, you know what? It's too hard. I'll give up. I've had enough. I'm up to, I'm up to here, and somebody else can do this job. Uh, but he... He, he realised that he needed strength to continue, and he got that from the people, the fellowship of the ring, I think they called it. Um, there was young people like Bilbo and Sam. There was bearded guys like Aragorn. There was even old, long-haired wizards like Gandalf with you know, the long grey hair thing happening. And lots of other weird and wonderful characters along, along that journey. And they lived parts of that journey with him, Okay. And even though some of them had struggles and some of them had problems along the way and challenges and all sorts of things, they need each other so together they succeed and together they move forward. And there's God's plan for discipleship in one step one. You need them. They need you. Right? Now, our world, unfortunately, has become a place that is concerned about what's in it for me. And that sort of attitude, I've got to tell you, can easily work its way into a church. It's, it's not that hard. I've, I've been subject to it to myself sometimes. But you know what? When we come together as a family in our church, we come together not because of what we get, but because of what we can invest in the people around us. That's why God 
gave us a church. Um, the Christian life is modelled after one person, isn't it? And that's Jesus Christ. And, and certainly, his is the life that is one of sacrifice and giving for the sake of the good of others. That's what the Christian life's about. And um, I heard someone say a while back, the most important person in your church... I wonder who this is going to be. The most important person in your church is the person who hasn't arrived yet. So our ability as a family here to embrace people when they walk in the door and love them and encourage them and make them part of the family is really, really important. Okay? And we're going to have a chance. We're going to have more opportunities to do this because last Saturday in the, in the Courier Mail, I think, I think that they sort of basically told us what we think most of us are, are seeing. Um, it basically had the president of the Australian Medical Association calling for Australia to follow suit with Great Britain and establish a government department and a minister for loneliness. This is, this is real, folks. This is, this is what is happening in our, in our world. Um, here's part of the report. Australia is in the midst of a loneliness crisis with many of our population lacking connection and meaningful relationships as they live their lives that will sustain and nurture them as they experience adversity. Loneliness is associated with poor health outcomes, similar to about the impact of about 15 cigarettes a day, apparently, in some cases. The circle of people we feel we can turn to when we need a hand or a shoulder to cry on is, is dwindling. Isn't it interesting that in a world with more ways to connect than ever before, we have this problem of loneliness. And let's, let's, let, let's just call it the way it is. It's easy in a church to, to be around people but still feel lonely, isn't it? That, 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 is, that is not um, something that the church is immune for. But here's the good news. The church is God's solution to the loneliness problem in our, in our world. The church is the solution. Um, but guess what? Um, to make the church a place to belong, each of us has got to play a part to play in that, right? Each of us have got to be ready to invest in the lives of others. And if, if you aren't serving or contributing in some way, I want to ask you whether, whether God might move you to consider that. Um, I don't know what that looks like, in what role or, or whatever. What it really takes is a willingness to say, I'm willing to, to invest in somebody else apart from myself. And there's a, there's a bit of paper up, up on the sign-up desk there. If you really haven't thought through what that looks like, but you know that God's talking to you about it, um, we'd, we'd love to talk to you. Um, step one for discipleship is it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to take us together with the intent of investing into the lives of other people. That's what the church is about. Now, notice that Nehemiah doesn't settle just for a social club. Because up, to, up till now, it sounds like a social club, doesn't it? He actually calls them to, to stand united around God's word. If we skip ahead to, to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, we read these words. When the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together with a unified purpose. Hear those words again. Unified purpose. 
It's that life together thing, right? They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the law of Moses, which the Lord had given them to obey. See, discipleship is not just connecting socially, right? It is about finding ways to, God's, to, to bring God's word into that space and not just read it, but live it and do it. Notice the last couple of words in that verse. Given for them to what? Obey. Discipleship is the practical obedience to God's word amidst all the struggles and challenges of life. You know, reading the Bible is really important, and you'll hear, hear it here a lot from, from our church, because it brings our life into sync with where God wants it to be, right? But actually, putting what God says into, the, into practice, into obedience, is the way that we grow. And the best way we can do that is amongst others, encouraging each other while God's spirit makes the changes. We talk a lot about growth, right? We talk a lot about what it is to see change in our life and and growth in our lives. Nehemiah's simple um, model for that is here. Obedience to God's word plus a heart willing to admit our mistakes and our failures means we see change and growth. It sounds so complicated, and it is hard, but it's so obvious. Um, third point. Nehemiah 9, verse 1. Let's read it till, till, till verse 3. People assembled again. They're getting together a lot, aren't they? The people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. How about we do that sometimes? Hey, come on, Sunday morning, everyone's... Everyone, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing for three hours, remained standing for three hours while the book of the law was read aloud. And then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. And I think I speak for all of us when I say, ain't it good to have air-conditioned services that go for 90 minutes and we have chairs, Right? <laughs> I love the passion with the, that these people have got to, to go, you know what, we want to move forward, but we can't do it without confessing our sins and our shortcomings. And the good news about um, Christianity is that that's what the life is about. It's about reading God's word and, and seeing the times where we, where we mess it up and then being willing to change it. And uh, I've got a question in my mind. I don't know if I... I'm going to ask it. How many Christians do you know well enough? People who know the real battles, the real authentic challenges of your heart, and they know enough to sink you, but they'll never tell a soul. How many of those people you know? I don't know enough. Each one of those guys who, who fought alongside Frodo in, in, the, in the Lord of the Rings thing, um, they, they had periods where they, where they gave up, where they fell into temptation, where they ran into trouble, where they, where, they, where they fell into problems with each other and disunity and everything else. And what they did was they needed a place of grace and they needed each other all the more in those times, right? 
I knew some friends of mine who'd been leading a small group for, for years. It had been going, cruising along all right. They were doing James 5, which is a great passage of the Bible. And uh, they got to uh, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. And they, um, they glossed over it. They sort of said, oh, yeah, this is, this is what it would look like and this is how we could do it, blah, blah, blah. And one of the guys who'd been in that group for about a week um, stopped everyone and said, hang on, you're telling me that if, I, if we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other that we can be healed? And they go, yeah, yeah. And, and he proceeded to pour out his heart. He proceeded to pour out his heart about his divorce, about his, um, the, the custody battle with his kids about the, the struggles and, and all the things that he'd messed up along that journey. And he said, you know what? I need healing. And the others loved him and they listened and they cared. And then they did the same thing. They shared their struggles and what was really happening at the coalface of their life. And what happened with, to a group that had been going through the motions for years changed it overnight. Those people met together for years afterwards because of two things. Obedience to God's word changes people's lives. And two, somebody was honest enough to call it how it was. I love the idea that church is supposed to be authentic. Um, that, that, that was my struggle for, for, for many years with the a background in the, in the police force, the real world, and the, and the church over here being what I, what I sort of felt like was that just how do those worlds interconnect, okay? And here's, here's, here's where it is. A willingness to get stuck and use each other in a place of grace, of love, of accountability with a handful of people that you trust is one of the most rewarding things you will ever be part of. But you know what? It doesn't come naturally. You've got to fight for that. That, it, that, it, that is not an easy, an easy thing to get, to get hold of. Now, Sunday mornings are a great way of, um, of starting this discipleship journey. But you know what? Small groups are obviously the, uh, the most obvious way for that sort of environment. We don't, we don't come up here in front of the church and, and confess our dirty laundry, right? We have a couple of people who we know and trust long enough and well enough to be able to do that with. And um, you know what, it's my dream, seriously, that there would be room in one of our small groups for everybody in this church and for everybody in our community. I think that's too far, that, that, that's, that's too far um, to think. We've got a, a great bunch of small group leaders here and there's a couple more on board this year, which is really exciting. So there's a couple more um, small groups starting. We've talked about um, side door groups before. They're like shared experiences, shared activities that you might have with a couple of other Christian guys that you can invite your friends to. And you can, you can do whatever. It can be four wheel driving and fishing or bacon, bacon scones is good. Um, it, it can be whatever. And any shared activity that you can do with other Christians and you can invite people into, that, that works, right? Um, we've been doing uh, Sunday afternoon um, church-wide studies. We did God's Big Picture last year. We're doing Alpha this year, Alpha Marriage in Term 2. And you can sign up for all those up at the, up at the back. 
Now, I, I, know that, I know the reality is that many of us would love to be part of a small group, but the, the hours just don't work, right? The, the time and, the, and the, um, the challenges of trying to fit that into a busy life are just too hard. And that's why I want to give you another option. Um, we're going to call them D-groups, discipleship groups, um, unless I find a better name in the meantime. And um, they're really groups of between basically two to four people of the same sex. Um, the, the idea here is that, is that you could um, read the Bible yourself, read the same passage every day yourself, one chapter a day. Read, the, read in, the, in your own devotions. You come together once a week, once a fortnight, once a month. If you've only got once a month, do it, okay? I'm, I'm really flexible with this. As long as you can get around and um, let God's word and his spirit dictate how you should live, okay? Um, when you come together, you share what God's teaching you. Keep a, a little journal, a couple of notes or reflections about what God is, has, has put on your heart. And let God's word and his spirit dictate how, what that means in, in life, what that means for you moving forward. And uh, I'll guarantee you that when you come together with others and you share what God's showing you, that others are going to think of something completely different and it's going to make you think. It's what God intended, okay? Us, us being together. Now, these um, groups are built around also praying for your non-Christian friends, that you'll have opportunities to, to plant seeds, opportunities to, to maybe even invite them along. It's not a church, but it can be their little place to belong. And uh, my dream is that we would see dozens of these. Why not? Happening in, you know, in restaurants and homes and shopping centres and parks and what, whatever, you, whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. It could even be in the new coffee shop up the top of the road. I'm hanging out for that coffee, I'll tell you what. Um, the, what are, these groups work whether you're, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're a guy, whether you're a girl, what, whatever the story is. It works for any season of life. And it's simply about a willingness to, to jump in and do something. Uh, I could see a bunch of guys doing a, a joint lunch hour. If you work in the city and you're all together, come together every couple of weeks, have lunch together, do it that way. Um, a, bunch of, a bunch of girls up at, up at Birds and Bees with the toddlers or after you've done school drop-off or, or whatever the story is, um, up there sharing discipleship. I could even see a scenario where a couple of families are together, the guys get out one fortnight, the girls get out another one, wh whatever. Okay? The plan is, I, I know that life is busy and I simply want to give you flexibility and simplicity. Okay? Options about how you could do this. Um, so they're really about coming together, opening God's word. And this is what Nehemiah wanted his people to see. He wanted them to experience this great and awesome God in the everyday little bits of life. That was his plan. Um, now, please, please hear me. I, I'm not interested in you being a part of every small group in the, in the church, okay? Just find one that fits for you and stick there and grow, Okay? I know life is, um, is full on. Small group sign-up is, 
is today and next week. Um, our small group leaders are probably loitering around. I'm happy to point you in the right direction if you have questions or whatever. Um, and for anyone who's interested in exploring what, what that whole D-group thing is about, um, I want to encourage you to, um, to come, come talk to me. You, maybe, maybe you want to start it, you've got, you've got questions, dramas, wh whatever. Um, I'd love to talk to you. I might even arrange a, uh, a coffee and some morning tea one day after church in a couple of weeks' time. And we'll sit down and explore what it might look like and just let you, let you think about it. Um, but there's a sign-up sheet for there, up there as well. So please come put your name on it, just if you want to explore what that might look like for you. Um, can I just finish with this? Um, Jesus doesn't come and command us to make disciples to make us feel guilty. Okay? I think Jesus came and told us to make disciples because it's going to be because investing into others and growing together and seeing people grow and seeing you grow is meant to be one of the most life-giving and satisfying and rewarding things you'll ever be part of. It's not just another thing to, thing to be done. And um, you know, Nehemiah's idea of discipleship, like I've said, is simply about experiencing and walking with the great and awesome God in the messy stuff of life. And we do it surrounded by people who have got our back. Because church's home, church's friends, church's family, you need them, they need you. That's the start of discipleship. Okay. Nathan's going to come and, um, and just, I suppose, bring all these ideas together for us. Thank you, Stephen. I agree and support everything that you just shared. We want to make disciples who are passionate for God and who grow to be mature disciples in a, in a holistic way. Spiritually mature, emotionally mature, financially mature, relationally mature. You name it. Discipleship covers all those areas. And to be honest, church, I'm not sure that uh, the church in general, not just us, I'm talking about, but uh, worldwide does discipleship really well, like Nehemiah just described. And I've come to realize it's because in many cases that there's this, um, sometimes there's a struggle to really cultivate relationships with God and with people. So whilst these words are, are fresh in your mind, I want to encourage you to consider, um, in, in term four, I'm going to be running a uh, a program here or a course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, EHS for short, because the other one's way too long to say. And EHS, it's a course that looks deep into our emotional and spiritual health because the two are actually linked. A poor emotional health restricts our ability to love God and to love others. I believe it's the number one blockage that most of us face in our spiritual life and in our relational life. So as we uh, get closer to term four, I'm going to be talking about this a lot more. And it's going to be challenging. And you, it, it might be a little bit scary to consider, but I want to ask you to start thinking about that. And while I'm talking about Sunday PM, because that's what I'm, when these courses will be run in the Sunday evening, term two will be Alpha Marriage, which Steve uh, already mentioned. And Shelley and I are going to be there leading that. And I invite you to be part of that. You can sign up for that today. That could be your small group for this first semester. 
season is you could join us for Alpha Marriage here on Sunday nights. They only go for uh, seven weeks, I believe it is. So those two things coming up I want to let you know about. You know, uh, people often ask me, what's the vision of Hills Church? Like sometimes they just throw it at me, we're in the conversation, we're at coffee. What's the vision for the church? And to be honest, I can't answer in just a simple one-sentence slogan that I think people really want us to have. The church is so deep and wide. I once heard Pastor Lex describe it as being like an outpost. We're literally beacons of light in a place of sanctuary and it's a place of salvation in a, in a dark world. And we have an answer for the world. We have hope for the world, which is salvation through Jesus. It's a life with him. It's a new life with him. It's a life of peace and a wonderful hope of eternity. That's something that the church offers this world, that, that God offers this world through the church. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to invite you right now. I'm going to say, why don't you think about doing that? Why don't you receive Jesus today? Give him your life then you come and see me immediately at the end of this service and I'll pray with you and you can receive forgiveness for sin and, and your new life with Jesus as, as Lord would, would begin. You know, I've been kind of making that offer for the last three or four weeks and there hasn't really been a response to it, but I believe God's telling me there's some people here that haven't ever really gone full in and surrendered to Jesus and said, I will be his a follower of his, and he will be my Lord. And today, I just, I'm putting it there again. Come and see me immediately at the end. I believe that God has given us a vision for his church, Hills Church. Our vision is to see a significant number of people in our neighborhood and in our life networks be connected to Jesus and to help them grow into fully devoted followers. You know, when I wrote that line, I was thinking, what's the number? Hundreds? If I say thousands, we all go, that will never happen. Let's be honest. But I believe that there's a big number of people, if there's 45,000 people just in this postcode, that God wants us to reach with the gospel and that they would say yes to it. When we look ahead in time, we see a church that is filled with people who have encountered Jesus for the first time. Some of you here today are new to the faith just in the last few years. We love you guys. But there's so many more out there that need to hear the good news. We see a church that has testimony after testimony of transformation, of healing and renewal. Who wants to see that? We see a church that glorifies God in worship with passionate worshipers who give him the exalted worship that only he is worthy of. I just realized I put the word worship way too many times in that, but you get what I mean. Do you know what I mean? Passionate worship, because he is worthy of it. I'm excited when I see creative gifts and talents put to use in our worship services and in the events that we do, from people who love to serve God and for people who love to serve others in this ministry, people who love to work with excellence and do their best because God deserves our best. Is that true? Sometimes in the church, we can do a little bit second best at times. I want to encourage us to not be that church. Because we serve a great and awesome God. 
I love the gifted people who love to create environments that bring a message that enhances the message. In the same way we, you know, we used to build beautiful cathedrals with um, stained glass windows, and we loved them, didn't we? We felt like that sent a message about how special God was. And today's creative people, they use those things as well, and, and, and beautifully crafted furniture and things like that, but also modern forms of creative expression, including technology, and they do it to reach and bless a new generation. We see a neighborhood church that reaches its neighborhood through meeting people's needs. And we do that already. We're going to do it more in multiple areas like counseling and debt support and help with budgeting and helping people with addictions, recovery, support for the unemployed, parenting classes, playgroups, playgrounds, parkland even. We've talked about that in the last few weeks. Language training, which starts in just two weeks. Natalie Roberts is going to be starting uh, English classes up in the back of the op shop there on a, on a Wednesday evening. I'm excited about that because there's people starting to show up in our community where English is their second language. Natalie has um, uh, qualifications in that area and it's going to help people connect better with the neighbourhood and, and I believe with the church. Emergency relief and much more as God provides gifted people with passions in the areas that he wants us to meet. Last week we learnt from research that a vast majority of Australians say the church is irrelevant. We don't like it, it's just the way it is. And we want to make it relevant again by meeting people's emotional, physical and spiritual needs. They connect with Jesus more and more the more we do these things. I really do believe it. We see a new building on Queen's Road that is a hub for our neighbourhood. This is our way of bringing God to this community around us. A way, sorry. Not the way, it's a way. We see a cafe with a high standard of coffee and food that allows us to serve and connect with people. We see spaces for all the outreach opportunities I just mentioned with the purpose of justice, mercy, and planting seeds of the gospel. We see our church becoming such an important part of this neighbourhood that they would miss us if we, were close our, if we were to close our doors. That's how integrated I want to see us be, a neighbourhood church. And if for some reason we had to move away or close, God forbid, all the people around us would say, that is a shame. We see new worship facilities that match the standard of homes around us and support our generational ministries with modern, usable and effective spaces for generations to come. We have a responsibility for the generations that come after us to not neglect what God has already given us. We see spaces available for future Bible college classes. I'm excited about that. We see a church that raises a whole new generation of future leaders, pastors, missionaries, and church planners, and much, much more. I love the Wesleyan branch of God's church. This may come across as a little arrogant, but please let me assure you, I'm saying it with all humility, but I see Hills Church as having an important role in bringing support and growth to the Wesleyan movement. I love that Steve, Adam, and Mark are, if I can say this, they're, they're like cutting their teeth, so to speak, here at Hills. And, and you're all embracing them as they do that. And, and me too. And I call on you today to encourage them and build them up and pray for them. I don't know what God has in store for them, but, I, but what I do know is that they said yes to his calling and that they're going to play a significant role in the future of God's kingdom. We have a role to raise up new leaders. 
And I note that on Thursday night at the Old Testament class, there was five or six uh, women at this class. I was so excited about this. I know some of you were there for personal discipleship reasons. Maybe God's got a different plan for you, though. <laughs> that, don't let that scare you off going back. <laughs> but I am interested in Hills being a place that raises up women leaders and pastors as well. It's not just the men. Because in the, uh, the Bible, there were women leaders. I'm excited that there are some who are responding to a call right now. And one of my roles is to make sure we provide opportunities for everyone male or female, and that God has brought to us so that we can support and train where needed. We see a multi-generational and diverse church where the older generation are passionate about leaving a legacy of a healthy, growing church by encouraging and supporting the younger generation. And the younger generation learn from the older generation's amazing wisdom and maturity and humility. Multi-generational can be hard, but with the focus on God's desire for us, it's not only possible, but it's healthy and filled with amazing blessings. We also see an increasing diverse community reflected, reflecting its diversity in the church. We see prayer meetings filled with eager prayers who dwell in the presence of God with expectation for a movement of the Holy Spirit, just like the disciples in the upper room. That dream is there and I'm already seeing the first fruit so to speak of that happening with our prayer meetings on Wednesday nights if you haven't been to one yet in February there's one more to go if you can make it we'd love to have you with us there's been about 40 of us coming along uh, worshiping praying waiting with expectation we see God pouring out his spirit in an increasing way gifting people with spiritual gifts that support and strengthen the church body and powerfully embolden us to share our faith in Jesus. We see more of God's miraculous healing work in our ministries as his power is demonstrated alongside the preaching of the gospel. Just on that, you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We see more of God moving in that way. We see people so eager to worship and fellowship that we have to find ways to find more space. Our new kids' facilities that we're going to build, we see it filling up, that our youth will explode in numbers and passion for Jesus, that our young adults will lead the next generation to love God with all their hearts in a culture that doesn't really. We see all this because God is great and awesome. He promised that he would build his church. So I bring you back to our first week in February when Nehemiah cried out. He confessed the sin of the nation. He humbled himself and he sought after God first. The main thing was the main thing. Humility and surrender to God. You know, church, honestly, I'm not that impressive. It's true you can build a large church with lots of amazing things and gifted speakers and while I think we have lots of gifted musicians and God is slowly developing your pastors to be better speakers, our God can build the kind of church in his vision, in this vision. Only God can provide the kind of funds we need to develop. Only God can provide the gifts from his spirit. Only God can save people who respond to the news of Jesus. And only God can call people to leadership 
And only God can sanctify us and lead us into holiness. We're a growing church. We're seeing fruit. We're seeing people encounter Jesus. It's exciting. We're seeing people baptized. Oh, I've got to admit, I want to see that baptism used a lot more. We're seeing families be healed through counseling and so much more. But I believe there is abundant fruit to be had. It always comes back to John 15. And I'm going to close with this. Uh, Band, you can join me on stage here. I shared this verse four weeks ago. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I'm asking you, church, to catch the vision today that I believe God has for us, to unite together, along with other churches in our area. We can see change come to thousands of people on the north side of Brisbane. It is possible. I believe God wants it. So let's stand together. If you're with us and you believe God has all this for us, I want you to put your hands together with enthusiasm and just say a loud amen or a hallelujah or praise God. Let's do that now. Let's just say amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's worship God together.